0: Well, as you're being seated this morning, I'd like to show you an orbital sunset, 269 miles, that picture was taken, above the Atlantic Ocean by our DBC Children's Sunday School teacher turned astronaut. And I remind you, as we have been looking in Colossians chapter 1, that Christ made it all created all things, sustains all things. And this morning, we're going to look at the contrast of who he is, his glory, and his very humble heart, particularly towards us. A subtitle for this morning could be, A Message or a Letter for the Weary Christian. Last week, we concluded Colossians 1 with a look at Paul's heart for spiritual growth, for maturity, for pressing on to know Christ better. Paul struggled, he strived greatly to ensure the Colossians' progress in growing in Christ. However, it was God's energy That was working so powerfully in and through the apostle. Some of you mentioned you were convicted in a good way. From the passage last week. That you needed to get back into the game. No more distractions. No more half-hearted devotion. No more excuses and no more sitting on the sideline the entire premise of christianity is that by reconciling us to god himself jesus breaks the chain of sin the penalty of sin which is forgiveness the power of sin which results in the opposite of our natural instinct which is holy Living. And what lies ahead is the promise of the inheritance in heaven waiting for us. How can we possibly live for lesser things? We don't want to be filled with regret for wasting our lives. So this morning I speak to the same general theme of Christian maturity, serving the Lord, and getting off of the sideline, but perhaps to a specific audience. Those who want to be back in the game, but feel they can't. Today, God's word will speak to all of us, but in particular, this message is for those with doubts, Those who feel overwhelmed. Those who do not feel worthy. Those who are discouraged. Those with church hurt. Those emerging from the scourge of legalism, which is antithetical to the gospel. Those who feel defeated. Who swim in guilt, shame, and confusion. Those who are just tired, who need to have their mind renewed and have their soul refreshed in the goodness of God and specifically the gentleness of Jesus. The message today will not endeavor to prop you up, to tell you you're just fine the way that you are. Our message will not try, will not tell you to try better tomorrow or to think more kindly of yourself. The message from God's word is to lift your gaze to the lover of your soul. And to perceive and to see just how beautiful, how compassionate, and how gentle He truly is. Far more kind than those who have hurt you in the past. Far more gentle, perhaps, than you have been led to believe or taught in the past. And far more gracious, I reckon, than you are to your own self. This morning we will look at an extraordinary passage. It is truly one of a kind. There are innumerable passages and verses in which we see the life of Christ. In which we see the teaching of Christ. But saints... There is only one verse in all of God's Word in which Jesus says, This is my heart. Just one. If you are downcast or discouraged this morning, I do pray that this one verse will minister to you in a very special way. Directly from God himself. You might know that I worked for years at a Christian homeless shelter in Washington, D.C. before becoming your pastor. Central Union Mission. It's a beautiful place. It was actually established just a few years after the Civil War ended because there were so many soldiers coming back from war who simply turned right to alcoholism. They are the largest distributor, the biggest distributor of free furniture, free food, free goods in D.C., and they are the longest standing such organization. I learned something very interesting while I was there. Those who are homeless, they each have a story. And some of them you might be able to predict, okay, I can see how that would happen. But what shocked me was how many academic doctors there were who are now on the streets. Life twists, life turns. Sometimes it's our own decisions. We acknowledge that. But here they were, Dr. So-and-so, and quite a few of them, living on the kindness of someone else to give them a free bed and a free meal. For years, this beautiful sign graced the top of their building, 13th and R Street in D.C., a beacon of hope In a very dark world. They have actually moved to a better place about six years ago or so, but while I was there, whenever I would go to work, I would see that sign come to me. Come to me. So we begin this morning in Matthew chapter 11. I invite you to turn or scroll. To Matthew chapter 11. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 28 says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now something I want you to watch in this verse, Jesus says, obviously, the most beautiful words that any of us could ever really hear. But you'll never hear anybody else say anything like it. We've been looking at Christ, the Son of God, in Colossians 1. Before all things, in him all things hold together. He is not just another prophet in a long succession of prophets. That actually is what Islam will tell you. Over a billion people will follow that. That Jesus is a good man, a good teacher, but he is nothing more than that. When we see the plain text in Colossians 1 telling us that Christ is God, you will see corollary passages elsewhere that show you that, but don't say it directly. Did you ever hear Ezekiel say something like this? Did you ever hear David or Isaiah? Hey guys, come to me. I'll get you back on your feet. They would be stoned on the spot if they tried that. But Jesus, because of who he is, invites people to himself. And he says, I will give you rest for your weary soul. Here you have the heart of our savior. He beckons sinners to come to him. He does not place a condition. Upon coming to him. He does not tell you to clean up your act. And then come. He does not want your money. He does not execute a performance evaluation. Prior To letting you in, he says, Come to me. The requirement is that you be weary and burdened and tired. He calls repentant sinners to him. That they may have their heavy burden taken from them. That they may find rest for their soul. To follow Christ means to take his teaching yoke upon you, to submit to his teaching and not your own. It's an easy exchange because his teaching is light. And it's far better for you anyway. Fear God. And turn from your path of sin. But what I want you to really see. Is that stupendous statement. That Jesus makes in verse 29. It is a window. Directly. Into his heart. He says I am gentle. And lowly or humble. In heart. That's my heart. Do you see this? He is gentle and he deals with repentant sinners accordingly. He is lowly and humble in heart. And that's what I want you to see. This is particularly astounding in light of what we have been studying in Colossians chapter 1. Jesus is God. God. He is Lord. He is Creator. All things were created by Him and for Him. He inherits it all. He holds it all together. Remember that picture from Frank up 269 miles above us? And yet, and yet, He is humble, He is gentle. This is the remarkable aspect of the gospel, of grace. Jesus is gentle with repentant sinners, and that humility, now listen to me, that humility does not change once we are in the kingdom. And that, fellow Christian, is what I want you to see this morning. Consider the other great Christological passage in Philippians 2. Jesus is equal with God. Because he is God, Paul says. But he doesn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself. And he took on the form of his own creation. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. But it doesn't stop there. He not only took our form, but he became obedient to death. Remember, death had no jurisdiction over him. But he humbled himself even to death. But there's more. Death on a cross. Died a cruel death on a Roman cross. He died as one who was an outlaw. And yet he who knew no sin became sin. For you and for me. He voluntarily took upon Himself my sin so I could go free. He took my shame and my guilt in His own being and He felt that so deeply in His soul. That is why He sweat drops of blood in the garden before He went to the cross because He knew what was coming. My friends, he took the low road, he was betrayed, he was slapped, he wore the crown of thorns, he was mocked, he was whipped, he was beaten, he collapsed under the weight of his cross that he was carrying, which actually was your cross. People spit on him. Oh, and they wagged their finger at him and made fun of him. All of this, my friend, he did for you. Because he is humble in heart. How much lower could a person possibly bring himself? This was much lower than anything any of us, anybody that we have ever known could ever do for someone else. Because our starting point is lower than his. He literally came from the highest place to the lowest place. For you. Now friend. Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Not just that he loves all the little children in the world. But that he Particularly loves you. Not just that he loves others, but you he tolerates. No. He loves you. And that is particularly what the Lord put on my heart this morning to speak to. Christ is gentle. And he is lowly. And he will give your weary soul what it needs. And that is rest. And we know that the world is running a track of insanity. Trying to find rest down here. And it never, ever works. So let's work in what was read earlier by Matthew from Isaiah. This is a prophecy about Jesus. Isaiah chapter 42. And I'm just going to read verse 3. Speaking of Christ. Who was to come. Remember this is Isaiah. He's talking seven, 800 years. Before Jesus was born. But there's this beautiful theme. All throughout the Old Testament. The Hebrew scriptures. Of this Messiah who would come. The Christ. The anointed one. The special one. Pay attention to what he says. A bruised reed. He will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. As your pastor, as your shepherd, I know this is a description of many this morning. Do you see Jesus from this angle? What is a bruised reed? A bruised reed is a reed which has had about enough. It has been bent. It is no longer growing or flourishing. Perhaps literally blunt trauma. It's not okay. Not doing so well. If you were to walk up and bend it, or press it just a little bit more, it'll break. This was so applicable to Isaiah's readers. They knew exactly what a reed was, and they encountered them often. As one theologian said, this is a reference to one... Whose inner and outer life is hanging on just by a thread. Perhaps battered by the trials of life. Discouraged and despondent. Considering the flickering candle. We've all seen something like this. A flame that is struggling to stay lit. That is indeed very, very weak. A brief gust of wind. Or anything else it seems. Will extinguish it. Right away. But here's the important part. Important part. Though it is weak, there is indeed a flame. He is not, not preventing something from happening that is not already happening. There is life there. It's just faint. It's struggling. It's having a really hard time. And so it is most important to convey that these passages are not speaking to unrepentant, hardened sinners who are shaking their fist at God. No, they've been bruised by their own awareness of their failures. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, there is a poverty of spirit. You don't need to tell me my failures because I remind myself of them when I wake up, when I go through the day, and when I go to bed at night, and when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm aware of them. They're a heavy burden. They are deeply aware of their own flaws and failures, perhaps too much so. They have encountered difficulties that they did not expect. Waves of life's storms have left her hurt and dejected. How does our Savior deal with her? With gentleness. For he is humble. What is his disposition to the brother who has blown it again? And knows it. And who just cannot seem to get it together. He is gentle. And he is humble. Imagine. That is grace. And this is important. It is his very disposition towards us. In my efforts to continue to call you to rest in Jesus and walk with him, even in your discouragement and in your difficulties, allow me to highlight three very specific truths from Scripture. The first one is this. Jesus is our intercessor. You are not writing all of this alone. Jesus did not die for us and then head back to heaven never to think of us this side of glory. No. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He is, in fact, our advocate. One theologian put it this way. It's as if he daily pushes the reset On our justification, our forgiveness. Because the blood of Christ covers us from all sin. Have you ever considered... I invite you to take your Bible to Hebrews and turn to Hebrews or scroll Hebrews chapter 4. Have you considered lately this wonderful passage which tells us to approach God... With confidence. When we become discouraged. We pull away from God. That is our natural tendency. But God's word tells us. Don't do that. Go towards God. Don't pull away from him. Even. If we're not feeling it in the moment, we must have confidence. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. We have something that the Old Testament people didn't have. We have a priest who was tempted and did not sin. There's a big difference. But notice that he sympathizes with us. Verse 16, in light of that, he says, let us then, or therefore, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. If the Bible says we have times of need it is time for us to stop pretending that we don't have those. Let us draw with confidence now watch what he says about the throne of God. The one who is thrice holy his very throne is called the throne of grace. And he beckons us to himself, specifically in our time of need. That we might find mercy and help. Let us move toward God and not from him. We won't read it, but chapter 7, verse 25. Jesus is said to save us completely to the uttermost. He is able to save us from the depth of our sin and also save us into eternity from our sin. Number two, there's a second thing I want you to see. When you read the Gospels, when you see the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ, follow the movement of Jesus. Do you ever see him walking away from sinners? Good luck. Rabbi down the road, I'm sure he's available. I'm busy. I, I got things to do. Does he ignore people in desperate need? Did you know that the majority of the miracles that Jesus produced, that Jesus performed, were interruptions? He's over here teaching. I'm just telling you. A guy comes down from the roof, right? They were desperate. Desperate. It is the consistent, observable feature of Jesus' ministry that he moves toward us and not away from us. Because we're too sinful. He moves toward sinners and not away. Now, there is a wonderful little book that I recommend on this very topic. And no, I don't know the author, no royalties, anything like this. Our staff actually went through this book, a book discussion last year. In this little book, the pastor often quotes from some of the Puritan pastors and theologians from the 1600s. So this is it. It is called, drumroll, Gentle and Lowly. Gentle and Lowly. It will not take you forever to read. It is this thick. It is very readable. I commend it to you highly. Gentle and lowly. The subtitle is, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. I would like to read a short quote. This is from page 30. This is deeper than saying that Jesus is loving or merciful or gracious. The cumulative testimony of the four gospels is that when Jesus sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering and not away from it. Page 32 from the 1600s. Thomas Goodwin said, Christ is love covered over in flesh. If compassion clothed itself in a human body and went walking around this earth, what would it look like? We don't have to wonder. The Gospels. Jesus Christ is closer to you today than he was to the sinners and sufferers he spoke with and touched in his earthly ministry. Third, and we'll land the plane. Speaking in more broad terms now, let me leave you with this beautiful term about God. He is the Father mercies. One of my favorite scriptures, his mercies are new every morning, every time that every day that sun rises, God's mercies are new. When learning about God in scripture, you will see over and over and over and over again, how God's mercy is emphasized throughout God's disposition towards us is one of mercy. In fact, many of the Puritan writers most known perhaps for highlighting God's wrath actually called his wrath his strange attribute. Meaning, it was not the one that you would see first. I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is my wife Christine's favorite verse, and for good reason. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is Paul's letter to the Corinthians. You might know there was actually a letter in between the first one and the second one. But as you might know, the Corinthians had a lot of dysfunctionality. They had a lot of problems. They were coming out of their sinful past as a collection, as a collective whole, and they were beginning to walk with Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. It's not an abstract thought. Verse 4 Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The wickedness in Corinth. Was pretty notable. These new Christians. This new church. They were moving out of that. Laying down new tracks in their life. If you will. Notice what Paul says. God is full of mercy towards us. And comforts us. This is important. So that we can comfort other people. How? With the comfort that God gave us. That's what the church is to be. My brothers and sisters, I pray that we are able to rest in Jesus' humble and gentle disposition toward us. He loves you. If you are discouraged... If you're on the sideline, let's get back in with the full knowledge and the comfort that Christ, who holds all things by the word of his power, is humble towards you. Let's pray. take a moment of quiet for reflection life does come at us fast it's no secret the last few years have not been easy sometimes we have a distorted view of god a distorted view of who christ is and kind of up up there just ready to squish us when we mess up in no way whatsoever am I belittling sin because it was your sin and my sin that nailed Christ to the cross what i am doing is telling you that his blood speaks a better word than your than your most spectacular failure if today you have pulled back For reasons I've noted or your own. Welcome home. Get back into the game. We need you. Because we're the body of Christ. We're not designed to operate at 70% capacity. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning. Indeed, that your mercies are new. You are with us and you have promised to never leave us. You promise never to forsake us. Christ indeed is with us until the end of the age. Lord, how quickly we can be distracted. We can succumb to philosophies or ways of thinking that are contrary to your truth. Help us to take sin seriously, to separate ourselves from what is around us, to be in the world but not of the world, but concurrently remind us over and over again how truly gentle you are with us. The Creator and the Sustainer of the universe, walking among us and dying for us was no, no small matter. He is one Christ who intercedes for us regularly and who advocates for us specifically. Preach the truth to our own heart. That he is indeed a mighty savior. That the blood that he shed is like none other. Remind us to confess our sin. To confess our failures. Yes. But to know that you wash us up. You cleanse us. And you get us on our way. Speak that good news to us because it is amazing. And then in turn, may we be good news to those around us. Thank you for the simplicity, the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Was buried and rose again in accordance with the scriptures on the third day. offering forgiveness and reconciliation to God for all those who would abandon their silly little efforts to impress you, but turn to Christ in repentance and put their faith in Him and in Him alone. We pray that today would be the day of their salvation. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.